So Mark chapter 14 from verses 12 to 31. Mark 14 verses 12 to 41. It reads, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asked, Where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you do not mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one whose lips one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he broke it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherds and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, open our hearts to your word that we may receive it. Pray that, Lord, we are changed by it, that after the sermon is done, we are enthusiastic about obedience to you with the strength that you provide, Lord. Speak to your people this morning. We are listening. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask all these things. Amen. Um, I come from a family of teachers. My wife is a teacher, as some of you will know, but also my wife's mother is a teacher. My grandmother was a, was a school principal, and also some of our aunts as well were in the teaching uh, profession. My grandmother was my first, very first teacher at primary school. And teachers have to learn how to deal with children. One of her tricks was uh, when she had forgotten her purse open or, or her bag open um, in the class that she was teaching, she would come in and pretend to have a superpower and pretend to know if we have looked inside and, and uh, perhaps some of the kids have taken things that did not belong to them. So she would say, I know someone looked in here and took something. They should bring it back now and they will not be punished. Because scared, I remember, uh, some would you know, return something that they had taken. And indeed, they would not be punished. The intention behind that was to say, uh, I know you are kids. I know you are tempted to take things, whether the sweets or whatever, that you find on the table of the teacher. And I can predict that when I'm gone and I'm supervising you, you will do that. To us, this was a, uh, a point where we were at all. How could she have known? How did she know that some, some would take things from there? The intention to us, it made it seem as if she had a superpower. She could see even when she was not there. And it made uh, us as children, um, even myself included, to fear her. To think that the principal is always looking, even around the school ground as we played together. That she knows what is happening. But she was mainly predicting what kids would do in given circumstances. This morning, we come to the book of uh, Mark, we are in chapter 14. And just a brief reminder from what you've seen so far. The section that we are looking at begins in chapter 11. In Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. Jesus enters Jerusalem in, in chapter 11, verses 1 uh, to 6. And as he entered there, he told them that he is going into Jerusalem to be killed, but he is going to rise again. He told them in chapter, in chapter 10, from 33 to 34, about that. And now he is in Jerusalem. We saw last week, that as he entered, those who were religious rulers began to plot ways to get rid of him. They began to, th to, uh, to, to, to start plotting, thinking, we don't want this guy to become more popular than he is at this moment. Because if that happens, the whole political situation will be, will be destroyed. 
We looked at the passage from John last week where, where, where the chief priest said, it is better that this man dies so that the whole nation is saved. So therefore, let's find a way to kill him. As they were looking for a way, an opportunity presented itself in chapter 14, verse 10, in the form of Judas. We told here that Judas came to them as they were plotting at it and they rejoiced at him coming. He was promised money in exchange for betraying Jesus. We also saw that they, in that group of disciples, there were some who, even though Jesus has been telling them from chapter 8 that he is going to die at the cross, and it's going to, uh, the way that he is going to reconcile them to God is by dying at the cross. When a woman came in chapter 14 to prepare his body by pouring perfume over it, the disciples thought this is a waste of money. Even though this woman was acting out of faith, trusting that indeed Jesus will die as he said he would. And now we come to uh, the second part of chapter 14, verses 12 to, um, to 16, where Jesus seems to demonstrate this supernatural knowledge. And he does this so that the disciples would trust in him. He's not doing it like my grandmother used to, so that you may fear, fear her. No, he's doing it so that the disciples may trust in him. Verses 12 to 16. So on the very first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to make sacrifices, um, to, to make sacrifice, to, to sacrifice a lamb for the Passover, Jesus asked his disciples, Jesus' disciples, I mean, asked him, where should we make preparations for the Passover? And in verses 13, Jesus does something amazing that we saw him do in chapter 11 as well. He tells his disciples, go into the city. And in the city, you will see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Go into the house that he enters into. Then say to the owner of the house, Teacher, the teacher asks for a room where he may eat the Passover with his disciples. And the amazing thing is in verses 15 uh, downwards, is that the disciples go in, as, they, as instructed. But as they go there, they do indeed see the man carrying a jar of water. And they do follow him. And that the owner of the house does allow them to, to use the upper room to make preparations for a Passover. How strange is this? This is an equivalent of me saying to you, go into the town, Johannesburg. You will see a man there carrying a stick. Follow him. He'll go into your house and then ask if we, if we can stay in his house 
uh, for the night. On the one hand, you go into, into Joburg, you might find many men, I suppose, at the church rank, carrying sticks. And, and there will be many houses there. But the likelihood of finding that specific person who would allow this to happen demonstrates divine knowledge on Jesus. Just as he said in chapter 11, as he was getting into Bethany, where he told his disciples, go into uh, this town, you'll find a man with a donkey, and says, the Lord wants to use this, this donkey. And mysteriously, he gets what he wanted. This is to demonstrate the supernatural knowledge of Jesus. This is to say, uh, is to communicate to, to, to the disciples that you can trust him. He is God. No one could say this and have this happen if he was not God. Anyone can declare, go into a town, find someone with a jar of water. Anyone can predict, perhaps, that somewhere in town, someone will be carrying a jar of water. But for, for, for that person to go into the house and to have that, that, that person, uh, the owner of the house, to have a heart that is open to Jesus spending a night there to have the Passover, is miraculous, isn't it? And that is what Jesus demonstrates here. The intention behind this is to the disciples, at most the two, but all of them, to demonstrate who he is. It's to demonstrate that he knows what is going to happen, and what is going to happen is not happening by accident. His death is not going to be by accident. He is preparing for it. As we go to the next section, in verses 17 to 21, he is going to make another prediction about his betrayal. They are supposed to trust him in this. And not say, not me, not me. Jesus went into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover, which was a celebration uh, meant to remind the Israelites of God's rescue from Egypt. A time where they killed a lamb as a reminder that their sins were paid for by the smearing of the blood of the lamb on doorposts. That's how they were able to escape death in Egypt. So, Jesus is, goes to Jerusalem as it was instructed by the law in Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 5 to 8. Instructs that one can only spend the Passover in, within the walls of Jerusalem. And those who lived within the walls of Jerusalem were compelled to show generosity to those who lived outside of Jerusalem. So they would prepare, they would have a guest room for that time. Because as you can imagine, hundreds of thousands of people would flock in to celebrate the Passover annually. Jesus 
goes into here to celebrate this. But as we have been told throughout the book of Mark, yes, they're going to, uh, this, there's, go, there's going to be lambs slaughtered for the Passover. But a much more important thing is going to happen during the Passover. Is that the Lamb of God is going to die for the redemption of many. Who will say this, especially when you come to the communion uh, section, uh, which comes in verses 22 26. But before that, Mark shows us that the one who has come into Jerusalem to die, he is going to die for the unfaithful, for sinners, for rotten people. The, this section in, uh, in Mark is a little bit different from other sections in, uh, in, 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 in the Gospels, like Luke and Matthew where the whole, a, a lot is said about this whole Passover experience. But the intention of Mark here, he says very little about the Passover, and even says very little about the betrayal before and what happened during the Passion. He demonstrates that Jesus came into the world to die for the unfaithful. We see the unfaithfulness in verses, four, in verses uh, 17 to 21, in one, the betrayal of Jesus. And we also see the unfaithfulness in the last bit, in verses 27 to 31, in the defection from Jesus. Now let's start with the betrayal of Jesus in 17 to 21. When evening came, from verse 17. Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the, table, at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And of course, they don't believe it. Jesus tells, turns to them and he says, As I'm sitting with you here, one of you will be my betrayer. One of you will turn me over to the teachers of the law to be killed. As they heard this, the disciples were saddened. And what does one expect? Is that they would pledge their allegiance to Jesus, isn't it? They've been with him for roughly three years at this moment. So verses 19 is expected. One by one they said, Surely you don't mean me. Surely not I, Lord. I would never do that. This betrayal is in accordance to the, the, the scripture. In Psalm 41 verses 9, it was predicted in the Psalms that a close friend of Jesus, someone I trusted, the verse says, one whom I shared my bread has turned against me. And the disciples turn to Jesus and says, No, not me. 
not me. The name of Judas is not mentioned at this at this point. It's not mentioned that he is the one who is going to betray Jesus. So, Jesus' word here causes everyone to do some soul searching. To say, not me, I have no intention of doing that. And notice here that one by one one they say, I am not going to do it. Mark does not say that Judas is excluded from those who said I'm not going to do it. It means that he stood there as the twelve from Peter all the way to John saying I won't do it. And he was no exception. Otherwise he would have been noted here as the exception. But we know that it is Judas. We know that we have well, we know this because we have learned about his betrayal from verses 10 to 11. He went to the teachers of the law before this sit-down or this incident and volunteered to betray Jesus for money. Judas has an opportunity to change his mind at this point. He has an opportunity to confess before God and say, yes, I was thinking of doing it, but I won't do it anymore. Both he and Jesus know that he is up to no good. He is now hearing from Jesus himself that one of you is going to betray me. And as you know from the story, is that he does not change his mind. The money that he's going to get is too tempting. The riches that he's going to get from this act too are too much so he says with everyone else not I I will not do it lest you think that uh, Judas is the only sinner in this context that he's the worst he's the worst one he's responsible for the capture of Jesus Christ of all the disciples here to rent him perhaps you put Peter at the top he is right there at the bottom the scam, as it were. Mark shows us that he is not, only, he is not the only one who is unfaithful, including the, including the rest of them. They are unfaithful. Let's go down a bit and skip verses 26 to, uh, to, th- to, to, to uh, 26. So, uh, so we're skipping the middle part, which is 22 to 26. We're going straight to 27, where we showed that, yes, in the first part, Judas is going to betray Jesus, but the rest are going to defect from Jesus. This is 27. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, 
Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And Peter is not happy with this. He repeats to Jesus, he says, you don't get what, I, you don't get what I'm saying. He insists emphatically. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He is seeking to distinguish himself from that predicted betrayer that we've been looking at. He says, I will die on your side. I will never disown you. I am on your side, Jesus. But Jesus has told them that all of you will fall away, verse 27. All of you will demonstrate your unfaithfulness by defecting from me. All of you will act as if you did not know me. When your life is threatened, you will choose your own lives. As Christ is being beaten and bruised around the streets of Jerusalem, they will choose their own safety. They will choose themselves. In a way, just as Judas has chosen his own pocket, they will choose their own safety, their own lives over Jesus. And yet we know, because it's a passage that is known a lot, that indeed Peter does deny him. When Jesus is captured, the twelve are scattered around the city, away from him. He, he is punished alone. He dies alone. There is nowhere to be found. I believe the intention behind uh, Mark show, showing us this is to show us the type of people that Jesus came to die for. In the middle, you have, you have that famous communion passage where Jesus decides to sit with these people and have Passover with them. He breaks bread with them. He eats with them. And he says, drink this cup. This is my covenant, which is poured out for many. He gives them bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. So he doesn't want to, th he doesn't want us to think that Judas is the only sinner. He wants to demonstrate to all of us that all have sinned. All are going to sin against him. He knows they are all sinners. One has sinned already and the others will do it later. But yet he sits with them. Not because they are perfect, but because he is perfect. He is going to purchase them by dying at the cross for them. In placing the Lord's Supper between this betrayal and the defection of the disciples, 
Mark vividly conveys to us the many for whom Jesus pours out his life. They include his companions who are going to turn away from him. And they include one of them who is going to betray him in a most wicked manner. The sin that necessitates the sending of God's Son is not because someone else's sin is worse than the other. No. It's because all have sinned and fallen short. Judas has already showed his hand that he is fallen short of the kingdom of God, of the requirements of someone who belongs to God's kingdom. Peter, James, John, you and I will show later as a defect from him. This passage demonstrates to us what Paul says in, in, in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God showed his love to us while we were still sinners. He died for us. God does that. While he knows that they are sinners, that they are going to betray him, defect from him, he sits and eats with them. He says, I'm going to die for you at the cross. Because he's showing them that these are the type of people that I die for. I die that they may be reconciled to me. I die for, um, for hypocrites. I die for those who are, who are spiritually and even morally weak. I die for them. Because their entrance into the kingdom is not dependent on their will, no. But it's dependent on Jesus' righteousness. Peter is accepted into the kingdom of God not because he is better than Judas, but he is accepted because of Christ. He trusts in Christ. But as you know later on, Peter and the rest, as Jesus rose from the dead, they went to him. And you know with Judas did not go back. And sadly, we learn from uh, the book of Acts that he hung himself because of this. Those who are saved are those who go back to Christ to trust him in him. And we see here that this gospel of Jesus Christ is not for the perfect, but is indeed for the imperfect. And we see that communion with God is not for the sinless, but for sinners who have trusted in God. Jesus, just as Jesus knew who these people were, God knows who we are as well. And he loves us and accepts us still. 
Jesus here shows us that he has come for the betrayer, he has come for the defector, he has come for those that you may consider spiritually weak, he has come for those that you may consider by that they are morally bankrupt. And he's saying, come to me, all of you. I, die, I will die at the cross for you. I believe that is why this is put like this here. That sandwich between sin is an opportunity to dine with God, to be with God. Is an opportunity to lay claim to the promises of God who, who has died at the cross for you, who offers himself up for you, that you may be reconciled to God. Sandwiched between sin and sin, between betrayal and defection, between weak moral character, the one in greed and defection whatever you think caused that between people who love money and between people who seek to protect themselves God says I'm sending my son into the world to die for these type of people this is meant to give you confidence brothers and sisters, this morning. That no matter how, what wrong you have done, that there is forgiveness in him if you come to him. That there is forgiveness. If the defectors can be part, become part of God's kingdom, so can you. If the betrayers if Christ can dine with them, eat with them, so can he dine and eat with you as well. This was one of the scandalous things about Jesus. If you remember in chapter 3, the Pharisees were concerned, why does he eat with test collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I have come specifically for these people. It is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. It is, for, it is for these people specifically that Christ has come. This is an encouragement to you and I to come to God as we are for the forgiveness of our sins. Do not think that perhaps this lockdown time has been so bad. My heart has been so far from God, I can't go back anymore. Jesus invites you to communion with him. To communion with his people. He says, they claim of my promises that I will die at the cross for you. That's the encouragement that I want us to understand this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have in your word not perfect examples, but a perfect Christ who died for imperfect people. 
I pray that you help us, Lord, to believe this. You help us to trust that you accept us despite our sin. You want us to change. But you don't want us to be perfect to come to you. I pray, Lord, that if there are any this morning who have struggled to trust you because of their past, because of how they have lived, that they be comforted by your words this morning, that you have come to lay down your life for sinners. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.